Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast on this 1st of November, 2020. Uh, was it, yeah, it was daylight saving time yesterday. I hope everybody got that extra hour of sleep. Um, this is, of course, the Wire Remix, the Real Deal Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Robert Sapp. How you doing, Mr. Sapp? Doing well, doing well. Excited to be here. Excited to talk about the wire. Um, this is a special milestone program because two milestones. One, this is officially season thirteen of the Real Deal podcast. So this kicks off our official thirteenth season. Robert Sapp has joined me for about. I've done. I, I went back and looked at it. Seven hundred and thirty-three episodes. Sapp has been around for about. 200 of those, give or take, give or take. Um, All right. And this is the 30th episode of The Wire that we've done. So we are officially, after this episode is complete, we'll be officially halfway through. Oh, wow. Yes, this is at the 30th. All right. There you go. A couple milestones. Uh, This is episode five, Straight and True, directed by Dan Atias. Vulture ranked this episode 33 all time. The epigraph by one Jimmy McNulty, I had such fucking hopes for us. Uh, which, you know, not only refers to him and Stringer, but also you could, so it was a few situations in this uh, episode that that could be, you know, attributed to uh, as well. Themes, a couple things that jumped out. One new beginnings with Hamsterdam and also the New Day Co-op 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 Co-op. So we saw, so you see those, we saw those for the first time getting fully into swing. Very first time we saw the New Day Co-op, and then of course Hamsterdam finally, finally gets off off the ground and running. Not running, but off the ground, I should say, uh, with Bunny Coven and company, and we see that, and also middle management. This was a big episode for middle management throughout the course of the episode. Opening scene, Bubbles and Johnny. Um, so Johnny, you know, Bubbles is, uh, and we've seen this with Bubbles. So Bubbles is at a place, he's in a good place right now. He's focused, he has a purpose, he's making money. Uh, you will see over the course of the series that there are a number of ebbs and flows in terms of Bubbles' life, which makes sense because he's a crackhead. There are a number, of, sure, a number of ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. If you are a junkie or a crackhead, so right now Bubbles is in a great, is in a good place um, and focus. Johnny, on the other hand, eh, eh, being Johnny, Johnny's being Johnny. Johnny is 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 the established, is the establishment person, it's status quo. Johnny doesn't doesn't want to see doesn't want to change. He believes in the game as the game. Bubbles in this scene is trying to give him is giving him great mentorship and giving him great advice. Like, yo, we can make this money with my girl Kima. And you know, Johnny's like, nah, I'm not a snitch, and you know, you know, fuck that. Um, Bubbles calls him out for some for some bull, for his for some bullshit, saying like, look, man, this is this is the way we need to do. You should do it. He said, basically, tell, he tells but and gives some real poignant advice to Johnny. He says, "Hey, wait until you're not a pup no more. You're gonna get you're gonna get tired of running down these street, running these streets like this, and, and, and having nothing, having basically shit to show for it." Um, 
So Johnny, even despite all of that, Johnny convinces Bubbles, you know, to do another another one of their capers, so to speak. And they have, we, we see a guy who's on a ladder doing some work on a you know on a building. Um, and the guy, you know, they had this plan to get the guy's wallet. You know, uh, Bubbles initially it was going to be uh, Johnny to shake the, the the ladder, but Bubbles said, "Hey, you being a white guy, me being a black, you should be the one that saved the day." So. They go through with it. Bubbles gently shakes the ladder, not enough to, to of course, knock the guy off, but enough to, enough to scare the shit out of him. And we see Johnny come, you know, come say the day, playing the part. And um, Bubbles, he runs Bubbles off. Bubbles, they were supposed to meet in the alley. The guy comes down, of course, you know, gives Johnny some money. So the scheme, in effect, worked. And then Johnny, is goes looking for Bubbles in the alley and Bubbles is nowhere to be found. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, I think you said it. I mean, this scene is about mentorship, right? Like, and and um, the difference between Bubbles' perspective, having lived for a longer time, and um, Johnny's perspective, who is young and still, you know, is nowhere close to like his bottom as Bubbles would, would probably say. And so, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of, like, different moving pieces in this scene, and stuff happens, but it's more about the relationship with those two characters. Yeah, when you say his bottom, that reminded me of something, a callback to the episode, not episode, but season one, when uh, Whalen, when we came upon Whalen, uh, who's Bubbles' sponsor, and Whalen was in the uh, courts, he was in the courts in the uh, pit, and his nephew, he was trying to get his nephew, you know, out the game and trying to get his nephew to turn his life around, what have you. His nephew probably is around the same age as Johnny, close to the same age as Johnny. And he says, he told Bubbles, he says, yeah, you know, he's only 25, 24, 25. He's nowhere near his bottom yet. So I, that, that's, when you mentioned that, I had a call back to that, meaning that, you know, he's going to be doing this for anywhere for another 10 to 15, possibly even 20 years. Uh, Bubbles is, you know, you know, again, the older one has seen a lot, been through a lot, been on, you know, been in the game for a while, but Johnny just clearly, you know, still, you know, despite everything that the game, at, that the drug game has cost him, still is not that at that place where he's sick and tired of being sick and tired, or sick and tired. Um, we move on to Cuddy. Cuddy being woken up by his grandmother. Um, now, mind you, Cuddy is coming off a wild night where, you know, you had the Barksdale uh, house party. So uh, Cuddy, it's assumed that um, his grandmother assumes, and rightfully so, it is, the, the grandmother stole the show in, in this scene. She calls him, he says that, um, he says, yeah, I'm working nights now. At first she comes in and is like, yo, so I guess you're not looking for work today. <laughs> and then he says, no, nah, I'm working nights now, nights, nights now at, the, at a bar at the, you know, at the door hopefully you know i'll be you know till i get something better she says mm-hmm and then she says you know tells him about the uh about uh his appointment that uh he's late for uh from of course uh his ex-girlfriend who, who had who had conducted him made the connection with the deacon and of course he's late for that um he was he's late for that realizes that he's late for that uh, she said, and then the last part of the scene, last part of the scene, she, she says, 
she says, there's a job there if you're still looking. And then she walks out. So grandma knew what time it was as far as maybe not knowing what he was doing with the Barksdale, but knowing that like you really, really ain't had, you really wasn't trying to seriously looking. She don't believe that he's really seriously looking for a job. Uh, seriously looking for a job. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Oh, you, you pretty much said everything about the scene. I love how grandma just called this, as old as she was, she knew she knew her grandson. <laughs> she was involved in any of that shit. Um, but generally, I mean, we know Cuddy wants, wants to do better, but he's still not there as of yet. Uh, so we go to, uh, we have McNulty and Stringer. Uh, Stringer, McNulty continues to follow Stringer. We see uh, them at a, uh, no, this wasn't the construction site, but we just see Stringer's walking out, his, uh, getting out of class. He's with a, a young lady who's, you know, doing some small talk with, walking down the steps. And you see McNulty uh, watching him. This is, of course, set up for a major scene that is coming up. What are your thoughts? Uh, set up. Yep, yep. Bubbles and Kima. So uh, Bubbles gives Kima, Kima the lowdown on the Marlowe's, uh, some of Marlowe's crew members. And we get a first mention of one, Chris Partlow, who Bubbles recognizes as uh, Marlowe's muscle. He wanted, you know, Marlowe's, you know, that watches Marlowe's back. Of course, he gives Kima the, the name, gives Kima the name, and then basically starts to total up, you know, how much money that he's going to make or he possibly going to make he's uh, going to make from Kima. He gives her a used burner from uh, one of uh, Marlo's crew members um, and then says, hey, what about if I can get some plates for Marlo's Mercedes? And then, you know, around after he told everything up and negotiated, which, you know, good, good job by Bubba's. Way, way to negotiate. He, end up getting, he, he ends up getting $40 out of it and ends up banking 10 of it and says, and this is a major foreshadowing, by the way, says, yeah, I got a plan for these because these young hoppers be having t be having t-shirts. So, you know, I'm I got I got a plan for for the future. So that is a major foreshadowing for the for the future. Uh keep that in mind. Uh bubbles again bubbles is focused with a plan. Kima learns more about the Marlowe's about Marlowe Stansfield Stansfield's uh crew. What were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah um couple of different things. One is um, uh, Bubbles and Kima are better together than they are apart from each other. Um, at least up until this point in the in the series, because um, uh, Kima has broken away from Nolte's spell um, finally, and so she's becoming like like she'll never go back to that place again. Uh, she's breaking away from from um McNulty's spell and she's she's charting her own path um and part of charting her own path is reestablishing that relationship with bubbles as you remember how close they were at the end of the first season right. now it's about reestablishing their their connection together um and because so that's but bubbles possibly impacts Kima that way um she she he gets he She's the model for him, and she takes that very seriously. Um, and for uh, Bubbles, like her energy um, gives gives him focus, and so um, so, and then they both deliver uh, to each other like that. And so 
um, this is a really good scene because of that. Yeah, um, and I was when you said that they were better together. That that we and, and I guess I guess we're assuming we're talking about. Well, basically, are not arguing the same thing, but we're agreeing with the same thing. That means that means no McNulty. That means no McNulty. Just those two together are at their best. No, 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 no. They're just better when they're connected. Connected. No, I, nobody I, has to be excluded. I would say even without. I would say even without McNulty. To be honest with you, because I, I think that. I mean, McNulty's the poison pill of the entire show. So yes, but it's not exclusive to just those two. And McNulty, it's McNulty and anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know what you're saying, but I think we, I think when with those two, with just those two, there's bubbles. Gets bubbles has a sense of like you genuinely care for me. With McNulty, is a sense is McNulty's just using him. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're saying the same thing. Yeah, yep. So uh, we have we see another uh, Stringer McNulty. Uh, McNulty can continue to follow Stringer. We see Stringer at the at the construction site with Andy Kralchek, who's of course a real estate, real estate developer um, that we saw back in season two, uh, a little bit uh, season two with the Sabakas a little bit. So his, you know, his role is definitely is, is picking up this season with uh, having Stringer, you know, being with Stringer. So again, again we can uh, move along with this one because this was again another setup as McNulty continues to follow um, Stringer. So we move on to Colvin, Herc and the Western dis- discussing Hamsterdam. Um, Colvin, they um, so far. Uh, haven't had have had no success. They let Coven know uh, that they haven't had no success, and then you know basically he calls them out for their bullshit, saying that making it seem like they had done everything they could possibly do to help this succeed, and they play like oh well you know too bad because Mello Lieutenant Mello says too bad because maybe it, I think could it could have worked, knowing damn well that 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 Mello and the rest of the officers want to go back to doing the same shit uh, with the head knocking and and just quick, you know, uh, rip and run, things of that nature. So Colvin calls him out for that, for that bullshit immediately. And then her, and then Carver, Carver says, hey, you know, we, we can execute this plan and, and double the head knocking and then, uh, come, you know, double the head knocking and so on. And then Colvin says, yeah, more of the same, more of the same shit, basically. So then that is how that, how that is, uh, how that scene plays out. What were your thoughts? Yep, no, you pretty much said it all. So we get to we get to Stringer and McNulty. Um, at this point, Stringer uh, McNulty's in the print. Not I mean, Stringer's in the print. Is in uh, his uh, print shop. We saw it again. We got we saw this back in season one. We first saw this print shop back in season one when the dude came in and dropped the drugs off to uh, to help you know to uh, to help the Barksdale's maintain uh power uh control over the towers so we get back to this uh this print shop uh mcnulty's gotten fed up with following stringer and just says you know fuck it i'm just gonna you know go confront him and just go or go you know speak to him so you know mcnulty had gotten tired of just this cat and mouse follow you know following and uh, and all this and mcnulty's under pressure from uh you know from the unit to find something, so he's feeling that from Freeman and, and the rest of the unit to find some stuff. To find some stuff on Stringer, they gave him a week. They gave him a week or uh, to come back to and, and rejoin the unit. So, with their investigation, so he walks into the print shop. 
Uh, Stringer immediately stops one of Stringer after complaining about some paper not some paper not getting delivered. Playing playing print playing boss um, stops one of his dudes from talking to McNulty and immediately uh, they discuss they begin to uh, talk. You see McNulty saying, "I don't see you around the way anymore." Uh, McNulty Stringer, Stringer says, "Because I'm not around the way. If you want to find me, you can find me right here." And McNulty and Stringer kind of taunts, well, he, not kind of, he taunts McNulty saying, you know, what you need some court papers, some documents. Uh, call, first of all, he calls him officer. And then you call him detective, he calls him officer. And then McNulty, you know, kind of checks that and says, you know, detective, remember the bird trial? And then Stringer, you know, uh, says, you know, you need some document, court documents, some warrants, some, some things that uh, copy. And then you see Stringer ask him, you know, where are you living at? Um, I got some real estate coming up. I can, you know, I can hook you up with a, uh, hook you up with a nice condo. Uh, I can hook you up with a nice deal, deal on a nice condo and what have you. Gives him his card. Um, and then McNulty says, you know, says the epigraph. I has, you know, you disappoint me, String. I have such fucking hopes for us. And uh, Stringer says, good day, you know, have a nice day, officer. And McNulty walks out of the scene, uh, walks out of the uh, print shop. One of the few scenes that up to this point that we've seen with these two, um, you know, we had, you know, you had the court scene in uh, season one, at the end of season one, season two, they they didn't have a scene together. So very, there's not often that we've seen throughout the course of the series, those two, these two in a, in a scene together, they both deliver. Dominic West and Ildris Elba in this particular scene, just the kind of the back and forth, the, you know, kind of chess, you know, chess match, so to speak. And it, it was a brilliant scene. What were your thoughts on it? Um, it the, the scene is a, says a lot thematically for the show, but it's not a lot that I can get into. Um, like, in terms of like the scene itself, you kind of like pretty much broke it broke it down. Um, just just a good scene. I mean, a fantastic scene. Two fantastic actors. I think it's about as much as I can say about it. So we have um, Carcetti and Tony Gray in the office discussing the shooting of the state's witness. Carcetti has taken a break. Uh, for once in this scene, he takes a break from just being, you know, political and, and really send, seem, seemingly has a, a moment of humanity in this particular scene. As he's, he's a politician. He's a politician. <laughs> he's supposed he's, to be political. He's, no, I, I know, no, I'm not job. saying it's wrong. That's literally his job. No, I'm not saying it's wrong, but he kind of has some, he, he has a moment where, I mean, we've seen him go with, we've seen him kind of scheming with, uh, with yeah, yeah, trying yeah. he's trying to make his move in this particular scene he's discussing he, he kind of gets he gets annoyed or upset about a state's witness being murdered and uh he you know he, he's discussing it with tony gray and he says that you know he's you know he um says that you know says fuck the politics for a minute uh tony gray kind of like yeah it's kind of like okay you know what you gonna do about it basically and uh, kind of taunt, you know, kind of was taunting Carcetti. Carcetti seemed, you know, Carcetti was serious about it in terms of uh, saying that, you know, something has, something has to change. Um, I guess in this scene, I guess, I, I guess my thought in this scene, I just thought about it now is Tony Gray not 
despite spending as much time as he does, he spends as much time as anybody with Clark Kelly. They work together in offices, they do meetings. The fact that he never saw the, the uh, that he never saw Clark Ketty, what Clark Ketty was doing in terms of wanting to be mayor. Like why, like I was, I, like I guess I'm, you know, kind of baffled that he would never see this coming. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I thought this, so this, the scene itself and the way it's structured, right, is to, is to um, show us the moral side of, Arcade. of, Carcetti, which is what you were talking about and which is what Tony Gray is reacting to, right? And so there's an idea um, that of, you know, like, like if we're not, like if we're, the partisan politics is what, what they're referring to. It's not that it's not politics because everything they do is politics, right. but what they're specifically referring to is partisan politics, right? Like you're on this side, I'm on this side, so let's drop that for a second, and then let's actually use our political power to do good for the city. That's what that's what the 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 thing is trying to say, and that's what Tony Gray is reacting to. Gotcha. Um, we see Gerard, Cuddy, and Sapper. They uh, follow the dealer who is uh, who they suspected is stealing from from them. Who, of course, works for the Barksdale organization, and. Um, Cuddy puts him on to saying that, you know, hey, check out the girl, you know, check out the girl, you know, um, no, they follow him, they see him with his girl, he's actually with his girl. So, like Cuddy mentioned in the previous episode, you know, the girl, you know, get to the girl, you're going to find, you know, why he's stealing and, and, and what and, and what he's exactly, what he, you know, the reason why he's stealing. So you see, they see the, they see him with, they see him with the girl. Um, Cuddy just, you know, Cuddy dips out because he has, of course, he, he has to, you know, you know, he has to, uh, has that, has an appointment. He tell, and then, you know, of course, they make fun of him saying, you know, I got a point. They, they kind of joke with him, but, uh, joke with him about that once he leaves. Um, because he said they both said that, of course, he's supposed to be on, he's supposed to be working with them in terms of trying to find out more about this dealer, this dealer that they're still, that's stealing. Again, um, a setup for another scene, but I, you know, just I guess I, th- I thought about the scene from the standpoint of these, you know, these these guys are two clowns that work, with, you know, for the bar. This is where the Barksdales are at right now with these two clowns working for them. This, these are these are Barksdale soldiers, and I think that the reason, one of the reasons why we keep seeing them, and we've seen these two guys in the last couple episodes, is that they're trying to emphasize how weak the Barksdales uh, the Barksdales are right now, and this is what they have to work with. What are your thoughts? Uh, set up. So we go to uh, Com- the Western with Comstat. You see a- another commander getting grilled by um, by Rawls in, in, discuss- in discussing uh, an auto theft. Now, unlike our buddy Marvin from a couple episodes ago, this guy does keep his job. He keeps his job, um, and he says he you know says that I will basically basically says tells Rawls I will do what you're telling me to do. And you know, able to keep his job. Um, and you see Rawls ask uh, Colonel Forster about the gun, about Dozeman's gun. And Colonel Forster gives Rawls, you know, basically doesn't say anything. Rawls saying that um, we don't have it yet, but it's a top priority. We're on it every day and, and what have you. And, but I guess the big thing out of this scene was the fact that Rawls was the fact that they're still concerned 
or obsessed with this uh, with this chasing down of this officer's gun. What were your thoughts? Yep, set up. Cuddy and the deacon. So Cuddy meets up with the deacon. Cuddy is was disappointed because he thought Grace was going to be there, but turns out that Grace was not was you know Grace isn't there. So he's kind of so automatically his energy is off once he doesn't see that she's there. The deacon basically calls him out for that as well, basically saying that a man could, you know, uh, you know, a, a man could say some things he wouldn't mean, would get close to a woman like that. So he know he knows, you know, he knows Cuddy's thoughts, or he he, he can sense that that Cuddy has feelings for Grace. They discuss his job, they discuss his uh, job prospects, and basically the deacon says, "Look, man, you, you know, you're going to you're going to work for this. We're not going to give you anything. We'll we'll try to help you, assist you, but you know, you're going to like you're going to have to actually work for this." Let's get you in a, a GED program first before we before anything. Cuddy, uh, not trying to hear it, definitely wasn't trying to hear it, and says, you know, listen, I didn't think it was gonna play like this, and and walks out of the church. Um, what are your thoughts? The Barstow organization represents the devil on Cuddy's shoulder. The deacon is now the angel on yeah. Cuddy's shoulder. Yeah, yeah, no question. There's no, no question about it. He's still he's so every still, piece of advice the Barksdale organization gives, don't follow everything the deacon says, follow. Yep. So that's kind of like what's going on right now. Yep. That's exactly what that's you know, he's he's in between right now. He's definitely in between mm -hmm. um at, at this point. So we go to uh Bunk and uh older gentleman on the corner. Now Bunk, of course, we know is supposed to be it's supposed to be his priority is supposed to be. The Dozeman's gun, but Vermont, but Bunk is a murder police, so he's still looking into the shootings that Omar was involved with with the with the girl Tasha being shot and the the other Barcelona soldier being shot. So um, he talks to a dude, older guy around around where Omar grew up, named Bruiser. Bruiser, without question, is an alcoholic. Um, just tells him about Omar and says, yeah, I know. But first of all, Bruiser saw, they, Bruiser and some other people, some other people saw the shooting and saw what happened. So he, he's an eyeball witness. You know, he's a, he is, uh, he's an eyeball witness. But um, <laughs> he says to Bunk, you know, they wasn't, they weren't moving in slow motion. So Bunk is trying to get some details out of that as far as who was on, was, you know, was Tasha on the Barksdale side, was she with Omar and, that's when Bruiser says they wasn't moving in they wasn't moving in slow motion to Bunk. And then Bunk says, you know, come on, let's go down, let's go down, let me grand jury you, let's go down, they'll go downtown. And before he can, you know, get the old man in his car, uh Landsman, Landsman pulls up and you know, Landsman pulls up and knows that the, the knows that this old man has nothing to do uh, or ask Bunk about this older man and does he have any connection with those in this case? And of course he doesn't. And of course he tells reprimands Bunk and tells him to uh, find, go find the gun um, and gives him some information from a detention center, uh, from for a detention center that he should also look into. Uh, what were your thoughts? Oh, set up. We see, um, So we get back to Sapper, Gerard, and Cuddy. Uh, they're all in the car. Um, they're all in the car. Uh, Sapper and uh, Gerard are getting high in the car. Um, and they sneak up. Cuddy sneaks up on them. Well, it doesn't sneak up on them. They basically don't see him coming. 
um, he uh, and he gives him a they give him an update on what the girl's been doing. So uh, the girl has been shopping. The girl's been shopping. Went and said they said that she went to the mall, went shopping. Of course, she is using the money from from the dude that she's dating that's uh, that's connected with the Barksdales, that works for the Barksdales. So they putting that you know they put that put that together, and then you see um, they. They said they you see them entice uh Cuddy to uh join them in getting um in getting high. Uh what were your thoughts? Shut up. We see the detail in Freeman and McNulty. McNulty returns back to uh detail with nothing with next to nothing on Stringer. He comes back frustrated. He lets them know that Stringer, he lets them know that Stringer has become the bank. And you know that, and of course, Freeman knows exactly what this means. He, he he's got a, at a point where he's financing he's financing um, he's making enough straight money to where he's not coming near a package, and he can just pass it off as uh, you know he's coming straight to where the government he's become almost unreachable by um, by them. He's out of reach. He's out of reach for them right now. Um, so McNulty's down, you know, McNulty's down. Um, Stringer, not Stringer, but Freeman basically says, you know, once a player, once once a guy gets to that level, you're not going to get him nowhere near a package. He say he's insulated insulated from the everyday uh, from the everyday man, um, but they, they they still know that he's still you know in the drug game. So McNulty, you know, kind of you know takes an L on that. And ask, starts asking about uh, Kenta Williamson and you know what they know about uh, what they know about him. Uh, what were your thoughts? So my thoughts are not on anything of the scene itself, but um, the so the scene only plays an important role, honestly, in the development of Kima. Um, so I'll get back to that. I'll come back to when when I talk more about Kima. So we go to Omar, uh, Kimmy, and Dante. So they're getting ready for their, they're getting ready for their, their next job. They're, you know, working, they're uh, tuning, you know, tooling up some guns, loading up, kind of, um, kind of doing some maintenance, maintenance with the shotguns and, and what have you, getting ready for their next job. And we, you can sense, of course, there's still a lot of tension with uh, what happened, uh, with, what transpired a uh, couple episodes ago with the shooting of with, with the shooting of Tasha, um, Dante is, is you know is in his feelings because he has been in in essence uh, I don't want to say demoted but he's been repositioned. Um, he, to basically to reposition to where he's going to be in in, a, in in the back and. Don Kimmy says that's where you belong in the back, so I won't, you know, want to, you know, worry about getting my head shot off. So they, you know, they kind of go at it, you know, with a stare down. Omar tells them both to kind of let it go, let it go, or they're both going to be out. And then we see, um, we see, uh, and then the scene ends. Uh, what are your thoughts on this exchange and the overall tension within the within the game? Uh, I, I, I think the. I think the tension is there and 
I think I can't say too much more about it. It's set up, but but big time set up for future events. Coven, Lieutenant Mello. Um, so Coven, uh, Coven goes to Carver and asks about information about mid-level dealers. Now, during that Comstat meeting, that triggered something with Coven in regards to um, shit. You know, basically, basically feeling like he needed to uh, go to mid-level dealers to, in order to get the young hoppers to cooperate. So he gets an idea from what he saw at Comstat uh, to, to do this. So he goes to um, Mello, Lieutenant Mello, he goes to Carver saying, hey, what do we know about the West Side drug trade as far as who, who are running these corners? Who are, who are the movers and shakers from that standpoint? And of course, Carver has nothing because all Carver and her do is knockheads and you know and, 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 and knockheads and, and have do meaningless arrests. They don't have any information on anything that's going on in the streets. And then this is tied in, we can tie this back to earlier in the season when McNulty and Kima came in asking about for asking for information. And at that point, and also they had no information as well. So neither one of them knows what's going on on the streets. This is more so a, a, a knock on Carver because he is the he is the he is the uh, sergeant. Uh, he's a sergeant in a higher position, and Coven expects expects him. You know, Coven went to him like, "Hey, you know, you you, you know, I was, you're supposed to be giving me something." But of course, he has nothing. Uh, what are your thoughts on this scene? You're technically right, but I am going to to defend my man Carver. Um, defend her. Defend everybody. Defend. You're technically right. That's exactly what um, the character was expecting of the character. But as we know, the wire is much deeper than that. And so what the characters in the show constantly say and what the wire is saying, the show itself is saying is that's what all police officers were taught. It's, it's systemic. They're all, they all have really crappy tactics. And so, yes, it would be nice if this, uh, I think he says, DEU sergeant had that information right. but he doesn't and then we'll see how further it goes in another scene i would have combined them but i just wanted to de put that defense right now but i'll elaborate once we get to the other scene as well yeah no question about it um so we see that uh we go back to cuddy cuddy gerard and sapper uh cuddy of course has to get you know he's on probation so he has to get his piss checked um, Rod and Sapper get him, get him a, a hookup to get some clean piss from a dude off the street who says, uh, that you know, I get my eyes from daycare, they, they pay, they get five dollars, you know, they pay five dollars to, uh, to go, uh, you know, for some, for some, uh, for some piss. So Cuddy can pass it, you know, pass, you know, stay clean, stay clean for probation. Of course, we know Cuddy, Cuddy has been using, so he needs, he needs it from that standpoint. So Cuddy then goes and, and gets, um, goes to the piss check and, and of course he of course he's gonna pass because he has clean has daycare piss. Um what are you, um nothing too big from these two particular scenes and you have any thoughts? It's it's not thought on the particular scene but but this is this is big all this is big because Angel Devil. So this is the devil talking to him. All the scenes that has to do with bark sales, all the sick devil, and by mean devil talk to him is there's a, the shot when 
has he gone into the bathroom yet here? Yeah, this this was it. Yeah, he looked at his. Yeah, okay, he, goes, I, okay. he goes into the bathroom. I, I just, yeah. No, he yeah, no, yeah. He, so he the shot his brain said, "Wait, Paul, did you? Are you? No, do you need part, to say it, something else? No, it's part. Of, it, it was part of the scene. I did. You I'm okay? Like, yeah, yeah. That's why you're not going So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's framed um, with him. The shot of is of him looking at himself in the mirror. Yes. And so the way that you just described everything is very clinical. But like, if you listen to the words that just that you just said, it sounds crazy, and it should sound crazy. So that's what I mean. That's the devil on his shoulder, and he's starting to realize it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because he, when he goes into that bathroom. He gives, I mean, he gives a straight look in the mirror as at, at himself, mm-hmm. and, and the camera still does it, doesn't doesn't get any more no simple doesn't get any more clear but simple than that. No, nope. literally looking at the man in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. So um, we see we go back we get we get back to uh, Colvin. Colvin continuously cannot find information on West Side dealers. He goes to another major in a department named uh, named George. Uh, who he was sent to sent to him, and George says, "Look, you know this is all I this is all I got. Uh, we're not doing high level drug deal. We're not doing high level drug deals as far as uh, investigations on high level drug dealers. We're doing we're doing we're, we're doing wicked runs, street rips. So we're doing street rips on uh, on the orders of uh, Ross. So again, going back to your point, speaking to what the system is telling them." Is is, is 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 what the system is telling them what kind of what type of policing that they are uh, should be doing. And we know, of course, we know it's fucked up, but this is this is this is the system because um, it's very important for them to mention that the fact that yeah, I don't have this information because Rawls told me to look in this direction. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh yeah, Israel. Well, lots of thoughts on that. That was way too quick for this scene. So was, go ahead. settle in. Um, so, yep, settle in, settle in. Um, so um, it's important also to distinguish what was said at the very beginning was that um, that uh, there's nobody doing high-end investigations. It wasn't even about the drug dealers. So, I mean, yes, you connect those dots, but nobody in the entire Baltimore Police Department, to this person's knowledge, is doing high-end investigations, investigations that take time, investigations that take money, investigations that take resources. So even pointing the finger at Rawls is wrong. It's not Rawls. It's not, uh, they represent what is wrong, absolutely, but that they're not what is wrong. The system is what is wrong because of what it values. And what it values is statistics. That's it. We got to put it all in the line now everything let's put it all together stats are ruling the day yes. in our particular jobs right now in this particular world right now people are talking about we follow x y and z numbers yes. which in itself isn't dangerous but when those numbers outweigh the logic of the system that's when it becomes dangerous and the numbers can lead you to faulty places and so as we have seen over and over again, even in this short, even up until this point in time, the numbers themselves are becoming the lawmakers, and that's wrong. And so they start making their moves as a police department, as a jurisdiction, 
as an entire city, as an entire state, they start moving their, making their decisions to make the numbers say something nicer. Not actually do police work to shift what is going on so that the numbers relate to the shift. They're just trying to change the numbers. And that's where it all goes horribly, 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 horribly awry. And that's where it always is going horribly, horribly awry. And that's where it will always go horribly, horribly awry. This is an important scene because it applies not only to today, it applies to the next however long we're, we're here as humans. Um, and you can see exactly its impact right this second. So this is an extremely important scene. In the in in terms of the overarching message of the wire, which is also why all the constat, all the stuff, why Bunny Colvin, his mission and everything that he's trying to do and every move that he makes in this season is so very vitally important because it's connected right to the lifeblood of what the show is trying to say. Yeah, well said. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Rawls. I mean, again, Rawls is part of that system. He's not. We know Ross is not the system. He he's following nope. that system. Not even close. But yeah, yeah, he's following that system, and you know the system has been good to Ross because Ross has a high position. So um, from that standpoint, he follows that system well. He yes, does. He does. Uh, we go to Carcetti, Mayor Royce, and Mayor Royce's chief of staff. They discuss the state. Carcetti brings up the state witness to uh, state witnesses murder to Carcetti to uh, excuse me to Royce. Royce kind of pretends like he actually is invested in it. So he gives Carcetti the perception that, you know, hey, I I'll look into it. Uh, you know, we got, you know, he tells his chief of staff, yeah, Tommy's right about this. We got to get ahead on this. We got to get ahead on this. Um, and then as uh, Carcetti, before Carcetti leaves, he says, you will keep me abreast on this. And Royce says, yeah, every step of the way. Uh, and then Carcetti leaves and he gives, Royce gives, of course, his chief of staff uh, that, that, that look basically saying it was, it was, and it was great acting by, by Glenn Turman. It was a look of, I, it was hard to describe what he, we know that he's not, I mean, we know Royce can't be trusted when it comes to Carcetti and, and vice versa, but what, what did you interpret that look that he gave his chief of staff when Carcetti walked out? Oh, no, 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 no. This is not, uh, everything you're saying is accurate. This is not, that was not subtle or hidden. But was it a look? They of, don't trust Carcetti. They don't trust, they don't trust Carcetti. Okay, but and they have no, they have no intention of yeah. trusting him. Yeah. yeah. So um, we go to Cuddy. Um, we go to Cuddy, Gerard, Sapper. And of course, they, at this point, they, they are, are attempting to approach the girl of the dealer who's still who's uh, stealing from them. She's walking down the street. She has uh, with a couple of bags. She uh, she of course she blows off Gerard and Sapper as they try to approach her and, and, and ask questions. And then Cuddy uh, just you know smacks her and says after he smacks her and basically stops. Everybody looks. She um, she stops in the tracks and he says, "Now we're going to talk." As she is just in. Tara, as she just as she is, you know, scared to death, and, uh, basically getting smacked by this <laughs> by this muscle bound dude out of nowhere. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Quick scene, but what were your thoughts? Yeah, shut up. 
uh, Coven in the detail. So Coven finally makes his way to the detail. Um, the detail gives him all the information that he needs. They have all the information, of course, on the middle, the uh, all the middle middle drug dealers. Um, and then we realize that uh, he runs into an old friend in regards to McNulty, who, who he calls Bushy Top. We find out that kind of, <laughs> we find out that uh, he used to command McNulty, and uh, you know he gave he gave McNulty a fair assessment. Uh, I had a number of stuff, number of write ups, but overall good police. And um, they ask him what he's going to use that information for, and he says. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a comp stat on the ass. So um yeah. Uh so we so again a big scene as far as you know as far as COVID finally breaking through and getting the information that he uh that he needs. Um what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean like it, it's just kind of like the the um the end of his journey on this and actually finding out that there is a team of investigators that can actually give him this this information whilst the end of this journey particularly it's also but it's the start of his reformation which yeah. is why it's important yes no question about it um the first co-op meeting we see the co-op meeting with stringer Fat Joe, not Fat Joe, Prop Joe, Prop Joe, and a number of uh, mm -hmm. other East and West Side drug kingpins who are at the table. Um, so they get, they finally agree on getting a discount, discount on New York, on New York drugs and what have you. And also Prop Joe's connect off the boat. Stringer is leading it, is leading it as you know he's he's, he's chair, you know he's leading the, leading the meeting. Uh, they finally vote on it. Everybody votes like. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Stringer says, basically says, "Hey, you know, let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, everybody, let's, let's keep our, you know, keep everything close. Let's, you know, let's any beefs, let's make, let's bring them to the table, and we don't have to worry, we don't have to take care of it, we don't have to worry about any violence on the streets." Um, and the co-op begins. Um, funny scene at the end where you have. You have Shamrock, who is Stringer's second in command, taking notes on the meeting. And of course, Shamrock is just following the robber's rules that we saw in season, not season, in episode one, in episode one of Stringer's meeting, and also throughout throughout Stringer's meetings with the Barksdales in this season. They they follow robber's rules of order. And Stringer berates him, saying, you know, you taking notes on a criminal conspiracy, snatches the notepad and rips it up. Uh, again. It's funny, but to me, this, along with Sapper and Gerard, those other Barksdale goons, this just shows me ineptitude of the Barksdales and from that standpoint. Like, to me, yeah, you're following Robert's rules, but it should have been common sense that you're not going to take notes on a criminal on a criminal organization's meeting. So I, I thought that, yeah, I, I laughed at the scene when, when he snatched the pad at him and called him out, but I think it just... It just kept on speaking of how weak the boxers are right now. What were your thoughts? Um, yeah, I hear that. I was I was thinking more about like the co-op that was formed and how much of a thing that is going to be. 
throughout the rest of this season into beyond. Right. Yeah. Um, we see McNulty uh, with his sons. He's at he's at uh at the at his son's well at his uh, ex wife's uh, separated wife's house at Atlanta's house with his sons. Now he has two. Of course, he has two sons. There, you know, he's asking questions about about uh, his uh, Elena's new boyfriend. They're saying his sons are saying, "Hey, we're not supposed to." You know, mom says we're not supposed to discuss him. And then they then they discuss the open house uh, for his son who uh, is trying to get into this school, trying to get into the school. And then his you know a very interesting conversation where his son says, "Hey, dad, you got to go." Uh, all everybody else is all the other dads are going to be there, and of course McNulty doesn't say, "Hey, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'll be there." And you know, you're right. So and what have you? The first thing that comes out of McNulty's mouth is, "Well, I got these." I got this case, got this important case that's going along and so on and so on as he's watching them play video games. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, like, this is this is the same thing that we've been saying about McNulty and, and the show's been saying about McNulty in terms of his parenting skills. So we go to um, Sapper... Gerard and Cuddy, of course, they catch up with the dude that's been stealing, uh, you know, beat the shit out of him as as Cuddy watches. Um, Cuddy wasn't involved as far as the beating, but, you know, they beat him, you know, they break his hand, they, you know, blood all over the place, they're taking his jury, and it gets to a point to where even Cuddy, as fierce as Cuddy was back in the day, and as tough as he is, even Cuddy's like, look, you're going to beat him up until he has nothing to, you know, until he won't be able to pay us, you know, pay us back on what he stole. And of course, one of the guys, uh, Gerard had to get one last hit in, in terms of uh, with, with a mini baseball bat to knock the dude out cold. And they continue to rob him. They continue to take money as, or take stuff, valuables and uh, stuff out of his out of his pockets. As Cuddy, as Cuddy looks on again, that angel and devil that you that you mentioned, yep. he's, he's, this is the devil now. Uh, looking yep. on these two dudes beat the hell out of this uh, out of their, one of their own dealers uh, that work for that works for the bar sales. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yep, perfect. No, you sounded that perfectly. Avon Stringer. So Avon gets out of jail. Um, he walks out. Uh, gets let out uh, to meet Avon to meet Stringer, mm-hmm. and also he's met there by Shamrock. Uh, he jokes with Shamrock about picking him up in the Ford, hugs Stringer, and says, uh, the only thing I'm taking from this place is, uh, there was a sign that says, never again. That's the only thing I'm taking from this place. And, you know, Stringer gives him, you know, some velour, which back in the day, yeah, 2004, they was, he was wearing velour sweat, sweatsuits. I had, I definitely had a, definitely had a velour sweatsuit. Not a short set, though. They, they, they was, that was a short set. I, I never had wore a, a velour short set, but definitely, that shows you how long ago this was that that velour was still in still in style, and now Avon is out of jail. Um, no, you don't have much, but any quick thoughts? Um, yeah, Avon's out. Avon's out. Avon about is, to get real. Yep, Avon is out. So, um, we go to Colvin and the Western. So he gives orders. Colvin gives the Western, his Western, not commanders, but his Western people's officers to round up all the mid-level dealers. Um, 
we see some of the name, we see some of the pictures. One picture that stood out, of course, is one Marlo Stansfield, Stanfield without an S, who is listed as a mid-level dealer. By far the most important part of that scene, the fact that Marlo is listed at a, as a mid-level dealer, because it, it goes to show you that no one, the police, don't have a sense of how fierce this dude is if he's listed as a mid-level dealer. What were your thoughts? Um, I'm this. I'm going to defend everybody on this one. Nobody knows Marlo is coming. Not even the bonded, uh, uh, you know, special unit that that has all of McNulty and Freeman and Daniels and Kima. Um, keep, well, anyways, like I said, I have more to say. This I can also add to the Kima box, but at this point in time, nobody sees Marlo coming. Nobody does. So uh, we go to the Western officers rounded up mid-level dealers. We see Bodie amongst a number of other dealers get rounded up. And then, and then we see Herc and Carver attempt to round up Marlo along with, I counted about at least eight or nine dudes he had around him. So Marlo refuses to go. Um, one of his dudes had a bat in the... Uh, waiting in the bushes. Kima is watching from a window. She senses that something's about to go down as she sees Herc step to Marlo after Marlo refuses to go. Um, and you see Herc, you see Carver recognize what was about to go down. Um, and he takes the bat out of the bushes and says to Herc, says to Herc, I think, we, I think he gets a pass on this one. Kima calls back uh, any reinforcements that, that she was going to call in. Um, she, got, she, she was on the phone with Prez. She was talking to Prez. She's on the radio with Prez. And she calls, she says, oh, you know, everything, you know, it, forget, you know, she basically says, calls back the dog source, the dog source dude, as she recognized that they were about to be in uh, some some major trouble with um, with Marlo and company. I, I have a few things on this scene. What, on this scene, what were your thoughts? You should probably say your few things because I'm going to go in a different direction than you're expecting me to. I, I'm going to say this is one of the most underrated scenes in the of the season um, because, and even maybe of the series to be up to this point. Um, Marlo at this point was going to ready to risk it all for his reputation and for what he believed in. Like Avon on his worst, uh, Avon at his worst, at his meanest, would not challenge, physically challenge cops. So <laughs> he, the, the they, Herc and Carver were, were about to get their asses whipped. They were really about to get their asses whipped, and it like it just told you everything you needed to know about Marlo Stansfield. Like he's about to beat these, he's about to fuck up these cops in broad daylight. And I was like, watching the scene again, I was like, I, like, this he really is about to, they really about to whoop these cops' asses. So I, I, I think that, again, what a scene that I just it, it never jumped out to me prior to this, this viewing of it, of how big of a scene it was in terms of just letting you know what Marlowe was, was all about and how far he was willing to go. But yeah, th this was a very, 
very underrated scene in my in my eyes. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how on the wire fans feel about it. I'd be very very interested to hear from from you guys out here who feel about your thoughts about the scene. But this this was this was a very underrated scene because he was willing. You know, if he if that bag is taken, if, if you know if, if everything if shit pops off, then you know, you know it's probably a wrap for not only the cops but only for Marlo. I mean, they bring in re- reinforcements, and then you know, Marlo doesn't become, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't end well. But yeah, just I, I think the see the scene just wants to show you how far this dude is willing to take it. What were your thoughts? So I am going to go in a completely different direction. My initial thought was I did disagree vehemently with that, but I don't really disagree because I think you're right. That's what the scene wants you to get, and that's what they are giving you and giving me as the viewer. So I completely understand that reaction to it. I, on the other hand, had the reaction of, come on. Like, first of all, no, like, again, the, this is where I've, I've lauded. So let me, let me push back on myself before, before I go in, go all the way in on this, the way that this scene is constructed. Um, I've said this season has been when the wire has moved from just a very technical show, technically well written, acted, and, um, uh, uh, scripted, direct, every, everything technically that way to to a more of an operatic, a more of a, a, a Shakespearean type of experience where they elevate the writing. This is clearly a TV scene. Okay. Um, so that that's that's my frustration okay. um, because um, there's no way in any God's green anywhere on anything that is even remotely reality do just two police officers show up ever in ever anything there's always a billion police officers um so that that's not there and i don't give a damn how big of a of a person you are outside of this country um like mexico or somewhere else where you can like actually attack the police and get the political connections and everything like that but particularly in the baltimore <laughs> drug trade um it's not advisable to threaten police. That will end you. It will end you. Um, and there's just no other part of that sentence. Um, uh, and so uh, it just, that that was, a, that's very much, the reason that that frustrated me was that's very much a TV scene. Um, so, but the direction I honestly really want to go into, this is why I want to pull my complete everything about Kima um, in, into this scene. So, um, it's important that Kima's there for for two reasons. Um, uh, a, to have her and Kara's back, as she does. Um, she's their hidden angel on their shoulders. Um, yes. but, uh, but it's also important that she called the detail, but she wouldn't tell Prez who, what she was doing, where she was. Prez didn't know anything about why she was calling her because she's out on her own on this. Yes. She's the she's the first person that actually sees Marlo. And she sees Marlo because of Bubs, their connection. So yes. this is the beginning process. But this is how, like, this is the beginning, to, and I will thread this in through the rest. This is how Kima distinguishes herself as the most moral character on this show. 
she is the best of every character. Yeah. And right now she's the best of, no, she's the best of Freeman. Because neither one of them can see Marlo coming because they're stuck in their petty. McNulty, his petty with Stringer. Um, Freeman, his petty with McNulty's being petty. So it's about this job. And I'm just, we're, we're just supposed to be building Kintel Williams. Keeman's the only one who's seeing outside of the box of all of that. Yeah. And she's actually, she, she's actually for real identified the for real threat. Yeah. Um, she'll never get that credit, which is why I wanted to draw it out. And this is the perfect scene because it's the perfect Kima scene to draw it out from. This is, everybody would throw, throw this away and throw this mention away. And we'll zoom past this. But it's very important that she's in that window at that moment. Um, and, and I believe that's why she's really, really in this scene is to point that out. So... No, yeah, that's, that's the direction exactly, I'm going. Yeah, yeah, thousand percent right. Uh, in regards to, yeah, in, in real life, there's no way you only have two cops rounding up a bunch of mid-level drug dealers. Yeah, just just two cops by themselves. So that no, that yeah, it, it was it was kind of to, it, they, and not that we needed it. The, the point about Kima is the most important part of the scene. That that definitely is the most important part of the scene because we don't need we we have plenty of time to flush out Marlowe, but you did. Uh, they did want to have, they did to your point have a TV moment and just trying to kind of like add to this mythological like legend of Marlowe, so to speak, or try to build. This was a this was a bad way to design to build up how powerful or how vicious Marlowe was. An unnecessary one at that. Um, it's, it's a shortcut. It's a, a shortcut. shortcut. Yes, yes. And the why doesn't take a lot of shortcuts. Yes, normally. rarely. Rarely. Um, so I, I agree with that from that standpoint. Um, from that standpoint, but um, yeah, Kima sees Marlo in a position of power, and that was and again very important um, as she as she starts to connect connect things with Bubbles's information. Um, Carcetti and Tony play racquetball. Uh, they discuss Mayor Royce. Carcetti says if Royce, you know, screws him over, that he's going to go after him. Um, Tony, uh, you know, Tony said, you know, that he says that after Tony asked him, you know, what do you trust him? Not do you trust him, but what, you know, what are you going to do? What, what are you going to do if he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't keep play straight, keep it straight with you? And then, you know, that's when, uh, Carcetti, um, says, you know, I'm gonna go after him if he, you know, if he plays, if he messes around with me. Quick scene, any thoughts, uh, on this? Set up. Uh, Colvin talking to the mid-level dealers that included, of course, Bodie. He's talking to him about Amsterdam, saying, look, y'all can make money hand over foot. It's not a setup. Um, you know, if you don't comply, then we just going to, then basically we're going to just beat the shit out. Basically, in, in his main words, he says, um, he says, you know, your world and my world will not change. Well, your world and my ch- world will be, will be different come Monday. He says, think on it. But both but our worlds is going to be different come Monday. And he says that, uh, here's a quote. He says, there's going to be some biblical shit happening on the ride down, on the ride, uh, on the ride to the police station. So he's laying down the gauntlet to the Bodies and these other mid-level dealers about uh, Amsterdam. He says, you know, gives them the benefit, tells them the benefits uh, of it, saying, hey, uh, while you're, you know, doing this, while you're doing dumb shit, your, other, your, your, your rivals and competitors are going to be making money 
hand over foot. So he's threatening them and trying to sell Amsterdam on them at the same time, in essence. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, they say carrot, carrot in the stick. The carrot in the stick, yeah. Yep. So you have um, Bunk. And oh, by the way, that, that scene, the, the end part, of, the last part of that scene, he sees an old lady uh, going to, up into a house that he thought was vacant. He, you know, he, rep- he tells Lament, you know, Lieutenant Mello, he thought that all these houses were vacant. So he, uh, now he has one more thing that he has to do to, uh, in, in regards to this. So that was that was how the scene ended, uh, as he sees this old lady going up into that uh, so-called vacant house. Um, Bonk is at the detention center uh, that uh, on the information that Lance gave him. Bonk, of course, is running to dead ends, trying to chase down this gun. Uh, you had one guy said, if it's a gun, I can get you a gun. Does it have to be a cop's gun? You had one guy describing eight different dink, five different dinks, dink, dink, slim dink, fat dink. <laughs> He's like, no, that, no, that dink is dead. So Bunk right now is just, you know, is, is, is going nowhere in regards to this investigation with the gun. It is a dead end. Up until this point, it's been a dead end investigation. And you can see the frustration on his face. He had, he tried to make a deal with one dude about clearing murders. He says, the guy says, how many murders do you need me to clear? And the, the guy says four. And of course, that's not going to happen. So Bunk is frustrated and at a standstill uh, with this murder investigation of Dozeman's gun. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much outlined it. So we go to Stringer and Bodie. So Stringer meets up. Bodie meets up with Stringer at the harbor. Uh, Bodie attempts to tell him about Hampshire but before he can even get into that, um, he basically had to show Stringer that he's not uh, wearing a wire, um, you know, un- unzipped his pants, un- you know, pull out, pulled his shirt out, basically had to, had to sell the Stringer that he wasn't not wearing a wire, wire because he did not go through the proper channels to get to Stringer. Stringer was, you know, kind of tipped off, ticked off about that. But he begins to talk about Amsterdam, Amsterdam, tells Stringer that, hey, you know, the cops was decent to us. They didn't bust us. They was telling us, you know, about this new place, you know, where, where you know, people can move drugs. And then he mentions Marlowe as well. And then, you know, Stringer says, you know, I'm on it in regards to Marlowe, um, um, in regards to Marlowe. And um, that's how that scene played out. What were your thoughts on this, on this exchange? Shut up. So we see uh, Kima and Marlo. Kima is following, is tracks Marlo into the Mercedes that we talked about earlier in regards to that. that so Bunk got that information, turns out. Uh, so Kima is following Marlo. Um, Marlo gets into a, Merce- a black Mercedes, uh, and we will see how this scene, we will see how this plays out. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yep, shut up. Kirk Carver Collegio get to Amsterdam, get the first Hampshire Hampshire dealers. Uh, at first, nobody is there. They just have they have no dealers have no customers to uh, to sell to. So then, um, so then before they're about to leave, you have Herc on the orders of Carver. You have Herc Carver to orders Herc to find the uh, dealers some customers. 
What were your thoughts on this? The building blocks of Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah, and it's also uh, something that's going to be, be it's also the beginning of something with Hurt and Carver that uh, I want the audience to follow too, as well in regards to philosophies and on this. So keep keep uh, close eyes on their their relationship moving forward in regards to this, um, because Hurt Carver to Hart, Carver not mind you, Carver is a sergeant, so Carver outranks Hurt. He points to you know points to his sergeant stripes on his arm. And Herc acquiesces and goes in, 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 in on you know on those orders. Um, we had then following we see Johnny gets picked up by by Herc and some other cops and, and thrown into the wagon. Uh, the coroner gets indicted, and Herc says, you know, if you don't go to Amsterdam, we're going to indict the coroner every time. You know, we're going to indict this coroner until you guys uh, go to uh, go to Amsterdam. So. They pick up Johnny in the wagon. We see our buddy, uh, what was his, what's his name, Santangelo, who's, uh, yeah, we see him in the mix uh, as one of the officers that pull up with, that pull up with the wagon. Um, Kima, Marlo, and Stringer. So we see Kima continue to follow Marlo. She watches, uh, she watches Marlo and Stringer go into an abandoned, abandoned house and she uh, she tells McNulty doesn't tell McNulty about Stringer, but she tells McNulty uh, to meet up. Uh, we will see how this plays out. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, set up to we see how it plays out that part. We see a lot more about this scene there. Uh, Burrell and Carcetti. Um, so Burrell Carcetti. Tony Gray are at are at a, are at one of these hearings that we've seen where uh, Carcetti has really came come has really come after Burrell early in this season and throughout the course of the season a couple times. Um, they're discussing the state's witness at this point, and Tony Gray is basically Tony Gray is basically you know doing his uh, version of Carcetti. He's going he's laying into uh, Burrell. And Carcetti writes down a note, writes a note on a notepad and tells Tony Gray to, to, to back off. Um, and Tony Gray acquiesces, he backs off and uh, says, at the end of the scene, he says, what got into you? Tony Gray says to Carcetti, what got into you? And, Car and um, oh, Carcetti says to Tony Gray, what got into you? And then Carcetti, and then Tony Gray says, you. Uh, it says you, um, and then that's how the scene uh, ends. What were your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, so the beginning part of that, it's important to note that um, Carcetti didn't bring up the the killing, the witness shooting. Gray, Tony Gray brings yeah, no, it up. No, it's Tony, Tony, Tony so Gray is driving. He's like, it's not Carcetti. Tony Gray is driving the, uh, the interrogation source. Not, not official interrogation, but Tony Gray is in the, is doing what Carcetti normally does. He's doing he's controlling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just saying he did, he did like Tony Gray. That's how not, um uh, Carcetti. That's how chill he was. He didn't even bring it up. He wasn't going to bring it up. Gray was the one who brought it up, and then right. then he wrote like the state con. So that like we're both saying the same thing. I just wanted to reiterate that point. Like like Carcetti was not even going to start the yelling thing then, but because of their interaction in the office, 
you know, that got Gray's juices pumping. So anyways, that that was that was just the, the thing that I noticed in that scene. Uh, so we see the junkies get dropped off at, at Amsterdam. Uh, they come out the van at like little kids going to Disney World. Like what is going They They just can't believe what they're seeing. The reactions of Johnny and a couple of those guys was priceless because they were like, what they they're in, they're in heaven right now. They're like, what is this? So we see them get dropped off. Um, what were your thoughts on this? This was a quick scene, but what were your thoughts? Oh, shut up. McNulty, Kima, Marlowe, and Stringer. So um, we see um, McNulty, uh, not McNulty, we see Stringer and Marlowe go into an empty house that's clearly not going to not been bugged. Uh, Stringer is impressed with Marlowe from the standpoint of the only place I told you to find it, saying I told you to find a place with bugs. Told you to find a place. The only bugs in this place are the ones with four legs. So he's impressing Marlo uh, from that standpoint. He tells Marlo about the co-op. Then he kind of, you know, gives Marlo kind of like a, a, a mini history lesson on drug dealers of, of the past who got caught with their names because their names rang out. Uh, tells him about the car. Yeah, hey, you know about that car. He says, you know, that's how you get caught with stuff like that, and and uh, tries to sell him on the uh, co-op and also brings up the beating saying, forget about Bodie, forget about the beating. It doesn't matter right now. Um, Marlo barely speaks. Marlo, and again, it was brilliant acting by Jamie Hector who plays the character of Marlo. He, said, he says one couple words about the co-op. He says, I heard about that. Those are the only words that Marlo said. And, uh, or, and he also said when um, saying, you're doing about, a, you know, you, when um, Stringer says you're doing about a million dollars on a, a week on on a corner or what have you, or something to that to that extent, he says I'm doing all right. He says I'm doing all right. So those are only a couple of words that that uh, Stringer says uh, that Marlo says to Stringer. Um, mostly, is Stringer doing most of the talking, and again trying to present the same deal that. Uh, that he's presented uh, many, a lot of these other drug dealers who have acquiesced to. Um, we didn't see, uh, of course, McNulty, uh, we didn't see, we didn't see Stringer walk out and Marlo tells Chris, his second in charge, to tool up, which means get ready for war. Uh, a lot with this particular scene. Um, what were your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I, it's interesting, right? Like, it's interesting that th through, like, Kima's, like, deeper dive into Marlowe, like, she actually accomplished what McNulty had been trying to accomplish with all that just following of Stringer just around yep. himself, right? And so, like, it's a, it's another kind of, um, <laughs> this, this is, how the wire moves like it's it it, it accelerates keen um keenest character um it puts mcnulty's character in its place and differentiates them all in one move and in one scene um and it's not anything out of the ordinary and that's the difference between a scene like this and the scene with Herc and Carb and Marlo. This would make sense to the characters involved. That one was a TV scene. 
So well done. Yeah, and Stringer just Stringer has, you know, Stringer has no idea who he's dealing with in terms of Marlo's mentality. Um, Marlo just continue, like like I said, Marlo was quiet for a reason. Uh, all the things that Stringer is trying to sell to Marlo as far as hey, not being, not having your name ring out, things of that nature. He doesn't realize these are all the, all the things that Marlo wants. So he, rightfully and rightfully so, he misreads Marlo because he doesn't know Marlo. Um, so found that uh, interesting as you know as well with their uh, with their uh, respective interaction. Um, we go to Coven and Carver. Um, Coven and Carver briefly discuss um, Amsterdam. Um, any thoughts on this scene? Shut up. Uh, McNulty, Elena, uh, Di- Terry, Di- this guy, uh, Di- Di- this Di- Digastino, Digastino. Um, so you see McNulty and Elena at the, uh, not gonna say back at the open house that uh, we, we spoke about earlier. They're talking about. Elena's, Elena's talking to you know one of one of the, the teachers or one of the people there who discussing one of, one of the administrator administrators discussing the math program and, and what have you uh, their son for their oldest son. Um, obviously, this is a, a prestigious school, a highly sought out school, so to speak. McNulty dips off and meets Terry Discasino, uh, uh, and they they talk. Um, McNulty does, I mean, McNulty, of course, knows nothing about, you know, about the school. He says, you know, says some bullshit, like, don't know, don't know if he's ready for all that math. Like, Jimmy is middle school. That's, they do math in, in middle school. So, he, they, but they make, of course, they make a connection and they, uh, they make a connection, um, as Elena is watching them. He meets Terry Discasino, uh, tells her he's a cop. And Elena um, and Elena watches Elena watches them talk, and then we see McNulty and, and, and this uh, Ther- Teresa this, Teresa uh, sleep together. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, this scene is meant for you know McNulty to feel like the other um, in the in the show, and so uh, this is. Uh, this is part of the reforming of his character. Yeah. Yeah. This is this this is that's a great point. This is the beginning of that. This is the beginning mm-hmm. of it. Yep. Um so we go to Avon and Stringer uh at Avon's at Avon's party. Um so Avon Stringer, Avon, they have a back, they have a welcome home party for Avon. Uh, slash business meeting, if you want to call it. Uh, you see Prop Joe there, uh, Clay Davis, Andy Crouch, uh, Martin Levy's there, uh, Brianna's there. Um, we see uh, Avon briefly, briefly talks to Brianna, tells her, you know, he wishes he wasn't the only one that's coming, that, that was coming home. You know, she, you know, responds and says, you know, we'll talk later, enjoy, enjoy tonight. He talks to uh, Prop Joe briefly, jokingly, and then he, 
begin as he proceeded. And then he watches a young lady, of course, that he has an interest in. Uh, we'll see how this plays out. Any quick thoughts on this scene? It's 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 just it's cool to see Avi out. Yeah, in this new landscape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was. Yeah, no, nah, it, it was. And, and by the way, again, <laughs> I'll talk more about this later. The distinction with Avon and and, and Stringer uh, at the end of the episode. So, uh, McNulty and Teresa Teresa DiGassino, we see them. They've slept. They've already you know. So they've slept together. He, you know, trying to go for, he's trying to, you know, go for round two. She has, she has a laptop, laptop working and basically says, you know what? I got a lot of work, got a busy day tomorrow. You got, you got to get out. You got, you got to leave. So McNulty, like you, to your point on the other side of basically gets, you know, to a lack of a better term, gets boomeranged, so to speak. And uh, he's on, he's the girl for once. He's a girl. Uh, so just, so she uses him for the sex and kicks him out. And of course, this is different for, a lot different for, for one, Jimmy McNulty. Um, we, yeah, we talked about this scene earlier. This is the beginning of, you know, his character going in a different direction, but, uh, yeah. Um, going back to Avon's party. So Avon, of course, has been in jail for two years. Uh, he keeps, you know, he keeps looking at this girl that they they looked at earlier in the scene, earlier uh, earlier in the episode, or earlier at, when he was at when he talked about him at the party. So he's still staring at her. he's staring at her, and Stringer, you know, gets him away from her to to go meet with Clay Davis and Levy. Um, so during this meeting with Clay Davis, Levy. And Stringer, they're sitting down. Avon has zero interest in his meeting. I mean, none. He barely. He says, "Yeah, it's all good. Take care of it." That was those are his words, basically. To paraphrase, and I'm paraphrasing that. Um, Clay Davis knows Avon by name, which I found curious, and which we can definitely might connect to season one when we saw uh, Damian Price, who works with with Clay Davis, driving out of the the towers. So you want you can definitely make that. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Levy basically saying the same thing, saying like, "Look, I know you. You know they're, they're going to be looking hard for you. They're going to be looking up. The government's going to be looking hard at you. You know, we, they're trying. You know, in, a, in the way they're trying to, in, in their own way, convert Avon into this new way of businessman real estate from that standpoint. In in, in a way, Avon wasn't having it. He says, "Yeah, y'all got it. Take care of it." He wait. He didn't. He doesn't even stay for the rest of the meeting. Avon goes over the balcony, not over the balcony, but standing on a balcony on top, sees Gerard and Sapper, who we've seen a lot throughout the course of this episode, getting high in the party, in the middle of the party. So he goes to Slim Charles, who is, uh, you know, we know, uh, who is, you know, basically the new Weebay and the enforcer for the bar. They're, they're best, their best guy by far right now. And he says, he tells Slim Charles, like, yo, you know what's up with this? How are they gonna be getting high in the middle of this? Where the fuck is the dis- where the discipline at? And he tells them, he tells Avon, or he tells them Charles, toss him. So already Avon has been home barely five minutes. He doesn't like how shit is being run, already. 
what are your what, what were your thoughts on this scene? A lot, a lot was going on actually in this scene. It wasn't a long scene, but a lot was going on in this particular scene. Yeah, it was a long scene, but you pretty much nailed it on that head at the end. That that's pretty much what the scene functionally was was supposed to show. Um so we get to Avon and Stringer at in the apartment, in the penthouse, the apartment, fancy apartment. Uh Avon Stringer Stringer says, you know, this is all you. You got the keys to the navigator until you get a new one. Uh till you, you know, till you pick out something else that you want. Um, said the government, he says, shows them a piece of paper that makes it official. Uh, they discuss their childhood and during that discussion, Ava um, Stringer says, well, Avon says to Stringer, yeah, you was out there on some black power bullshit trying saying that you was going to get you two groceries and, you know, two grocery stores and, and, and a business to that, to that, to that, uh, to that extent. And Stringer says to Avon, well, you was on some, oh, I'm going to get an AKA 40, AKA 40, uh, AKA and go after Warren. Warren now, for those who want to know who Warren is, Warren, Bo Warren Bordley was one of the fiercest drug kingpins in West Baltimore during the 80s. Uh, so, and it's assumed that uh, that, that was one of the guys that uh, that was taken down before Avon got the towers. So something like that, one of those, or at least somebody of that ilk, they, they took them down to get the towers. So you have, you see the distinction between the two, I you know, their two ideas and their two characters and who they are, even how they were dressing. Like Stringer has a tuxedo on, Avon has a suit with a just a button, a shirt, a button up shirt that's not even buttoned up all the way. Uh, Stringer a little bit overdressed, by the way, with a tuxedo. I mean, you could just look suit, but you know, that's they, I think they wanted to emphasize, you know, where, you know, the difference between the two characters with how Stringer was, um, was dressed. Um, we see uh, as Avon, you know, they, they hug, say brothers, you know, brothers for life always. And then, you know, Avon says, look, I've been locked down, you know, what's up? And Stringer's like, yeah, 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 I gotta go make this meet. And then uh, Stringer closes the door and then he says he left something. And of course he leaves Avon, two girls. Of course, one of those girls he has been looking at all night. And, you know, Avon is, ends the episode happy. And that, you know, the honeymoon will be, you know, that that is the that is the happiest that they will be together uh, from here on out, um, and that the scene wraps up, and the the game the show wraps up, uh, the episode wraps up on that with Avon happy. Um, I have a question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, no, you summed, you summed it up. I mean, you you got to the, that it was to show the difference in there personalities and yeah you, you summed it up i got nothing to add i would ask the question and i put i put it on the notes because I, I i definitely have an interest in their uh backstory and how they met up and things of that nature and you don't have to answer it if you but i'll just pose it anyway the avon the avon turned stringer out i mean i, I really had because when he says that, yo, you was you was you wanted to start up some businesses, a couple of groceries, buy a couple, get a couple of grocery stores and things of that nature. I just wondered about that. Like, I was was Avon was Stringer. I mean, 
was Stringer ever meant to be a criminal? <laughs> um, I now I, I think two sides of the same coin is probably the better way to think about it. Um, just kind of like definitely like what you in the way that you were describing it, just like it shows the differences in their personalities in the way they they want to approach things, but at least up until this point in time, without using any future information, there's nothing to say that Stringer didn't, they aren't two sides of the same coin. So again, with the themes, I thought, again, we saw the beginnings of two reformers who are trying to make headway through the course of this season with Hampsterdam and the co-op in uh, Stringer and uh, Stringer and uh, Colvin. And also, again, the value of middle management. Um, middle management with the drug dealers got Hampsterdam going with Bodie and those, those drug dealers. And I would say middle management, I think that, uh, I, I think that the detail was middle management, to be honest with you, in terms of getting Bunny Coven, that, that information uh, for all those dealers to kind of to help him get Hampsterdam up and running, up uh, up and running. Uh, so we kind of saw that those are some of my themes. Uh, MVP and charting award. Who was your MVP? So my MVP for the episode is is Kima. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah, I agree. I had a hard time coming up with the MVP, but I, I think, yeah, I, I agree with that. Her just diligence and, you know, the fact that she was about to save Carver and her, her and Carver and also her, mostly for what she did, mostly for her basically telling, taking her own advice as far as that that connection with Bubbles and, and what that led to uh, with, with finding yeah. out with Marlo. Like she had, she had, yep. she has, she has the ear of the street, and that paid yep. major dividends in this episode. So I agree wholeheartedly in an episode that I had a hard time, an episode that I, that frankly, had a tough time finding an MVP. Uh, she definitely falls in that. She, I, I definitely agree with that. And your Chardin award. I mean, Chardin is cutty. I mean, you could flip them. Like honestly, you could reverse them if you wanted to, just depending upon the the position. I I, I just like the Kima character shifting away from McNulty and <clears throat> kind of breaking down the beginnings of the Marlowe investigation, um, or, or or the beginning parts build, building that starting that build that house that interests me a tad bit more than Cuddy's moral um, dilemma, but but. As we said, Cuddy represents the whole prison system, the whole rehabilitation system. And so I could see how that is, you know, that would be your, somebody's primary interest. And so I could definitely see how Cuddy's the MVP, but he's my Chardine. I had Marlo. I had Marlo Chardine because I thought in the two scenes that Marlo was in, uh, the one with Stringer and the, also the one with Herc and Carver, I, I just thought that his his controlled aggression, so to speak, in terms of the body language. I thought he did a tremendous job with that. And I thought that there's only one other character that has that on the show that that, that has that kind of controlled aggression aggression without saying anything. And that would be probably, but that'd be Brother Muzon. 
and you know we'll see more of him. Uh, and we saw that we saw about that in season two of Blood Moves On with how much you can tell with just the eyes. So I had I had Marlo as with the um, Charlene Award with those those uh, two uh, particular uh, scenes. So that is episode five, season three of The Wire. Uh, this was a excellent bridge episode because from here on out, um, you're going to see the wheels, uh, things are going to start moving quickly from here on out. So this was an excellent bridge episode um, to take us into the next half of the season. Uh, because basically, it, it, the, the season split up into two, basically two parts. It's basically two parts of the season. Twelve episodes, two parts. You have before Avon gets out and after Avon gets out. So now we're going to see what this looks like after Avon is out. So I think this was an excellent bridge episode to kind of direct us uh, into the next, uh, for the back half uh, of the uh, of the season, these last uh, seven episodes of the season, which will be, you know, tremendous uh, to say the least. So any final thoughts? No, sir. So that's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast. As always, thanks to Robert Sapp for joining me. I will see you next time, sir. All right. And everybody. All right. Be healthy. Be safe out there. And vote. Yes, sir. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast, The Wire Remix, the season 13 premiere. Uh, I will be on this podcast. Will probably be, uh, I'll probably drop this podcast tomorrow. Uh, early tomorrow morning, maybe later tonight. I might drop it later tonight, but at the latest tomorrow uh, morning. Um, I'm no, I'm not sure when I'm going to do another podcast. It's either going to be Tuesday or Wednesday, so be on the lookout for a podcast either Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm trying to go back and forth with the probably would do. I, I don't get a sense we're going to find out who's going to who won the election after Tuesday. Uh, on Wednesday, so I'm not going. I don't want to do it Wednesday. So probably it'll be Tuesday. It'll be Tuesday. So we'll discuss NFL. You know, get some pre-election thoughts and what have you. Some NBA stuff that came about. So uh, be on the lookout for me uh, with me on a two on Tuesday. Have a great rest of the evening. Later. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.